Thanks, Bill. Yes, you're right. I have been preparing ever since I discovered that I've been I'm teaching today, uh, which I was um, had a great summer and uh, given other teachers an opportunity to teach and and took and been taking some time to reflect and uh, prepare for the fall. And then I recognized and realized that um, my name's on the calendar to teach. So uh, here I am, and I'm happy to be here. Uh, it's been great, uh, great summer, and I ho hope that you have had um, some rich time uh, this summer with your friends and family, and uh, really a time to um, slow down a bit. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, how to slow down. But I wanted to start by just thanking our teachers. We've had an amazing group of teachers. I, I mean, I'm so honored and privileged to be part of a team. This is not a, um, a single person church. This is a group of people that have committed to the river and committed to, to all of you to become part of uh, and to lead us in some great teaching. So, from Bill to James to Luke to Brooke to Denise, uh, we've had a great team, a really good season of teaching. And we haven't missed out. And I love that. I really do. My heart uh, is just overflowing with gratitude and joy when I hear people say, oh, I love hearing Brooke, or Denise was amazing, or Luke's message was powerful, James or Bill. I love that. I, I don't. I, I'm not offended by that at all. I, I am honored that I get to be part of a very robust, solid teaching team at the river. It's unusual, very unusual to find a church with so many very qualified communicators of God's word. You got to realize that. And th that's unusual. You don't typically find that. So um, that's number one. And you know, and then our staff. I mean, our Hume Lake staff, my goodness. I mean, Luke, Ron, and Debbie, and Kathy, uh, even April behind the scenes. I mean, you guys have really done an amazing job and um, led our Hume, P our kids, and put together an incredible summer. So thank you all. Thank you for doing that. And, and uh, the rest of our staff, my encouragement to you is let them know, will you? You will not, you don't realize a, a, a text or a note, or a check, or a gift certificate, and how far that goes, not to Denise and myself, but to our staff. I'm, to, I'm being honest with you. Reward them for their hard work. That's what Paul says. They, they are worth their labor. And we need to honor them. We support them financially. We keep them going. And Luke and Brittany, we want you to stay and buy a home in our community. And we have Taylor Jones coming. And Becca, our new staff member, and we need to continue praying for them for their housing. Their housing fell out, and that was really disappointing to hear that um, it didn't happen. And so they're looking at other housing, and we're praying that in August they find a place to live for uh, their two children and uh, you know, and them as well. They're not going to separate from their children, but um, so we need to be praying for that and praying for Taylor. Uh, we want to bring them into the South Bay, become part of our community, and uh, my encouragement is just to just bless them, will you? I mean, seriously, if God's giving you some extra, just give it to them. They are worth it. So, um, 
And I just want to also encourage us that we are not going to stop meeting. We're going to keep going. We, are, we know that there's a lot of confusion. We know that there's a lot of anxiety. We know there's a lot of uh, uncertainty right now, and there has been, and we're now going, we're staying in this season, but we're not going to stop. We're just going to keep going forward. We're going to keep trusting Jesus. We're going to keep moving forward and doing what we know we need to do. The world today needs our love and our hope that come from Christ. Don't they? They need that more than anything right now. Anxiety is high. Um, uh, disappointment, disillusionment, worry. And, and Jesus brings the answer. Jesus is the answer. Even in the midst of uncertainty, your soul can be secured. And that's why in the fall, in September, I've decided to do a mini-series out of the, the letter to the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to talk about how to survive the current milieu. How do we stay in it for the long haul? No matter what happens, how do we stay focused? You know what we need? We need four things. And that's what we're going to look at. Everybody needs an anchor. Everybody needs a compass. Everybody needs a purpose. And everybody needs a plan. And we're going to look at those four things that anchors you to Jesus, that the compass is Jesus, the plan is Jesus, the purpose is Jesus. In this lifetime, we have nothing to worry about. And so that's what we're going to do. But this morning, we're going to dive into a new character. We've been looking at uh, a series called Show Me. And these are illustrations of people that are walking with Jesus. And this morning's a little unique because it's Martha. And Mary and Martha are sisters. Their brother is Lazarus. Jesus enters their home. And it's a rare moment where we see Jesus interacting in a real-life situation. Not a synagogue, not a church, not a ministry, not teaching. He's just hanging out with his friends. And we see Jesus interacting with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. I want to focus on Martha. It's really about how Mary chose the right thing and how Martha was corrected in the process. And I think a lot of times we're Martha and not Mary. And we need to learn how to slow down and listen to Jesus and not be so bothered and worried about so many things. Let's look at our text. So Luke chapter 10. It's just a few verses. The end of chapter 10. Jesus has just talked about the Good Samaritan, and he's traveling along, and he stops in his travels. We know it's Bethany because we know that's where Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived. And so he stops in this little town called Bethany, enters a village, Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. They knew each other, they were friends. And Mary. Martha had a sister named Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his words. So Jesus comes in and immediately sits down, and Mary props herself right in front of Jesus. And then when it says, Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. 
But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha, Martha, look to your sister Mary. And so we have this passage of Scripture that helps us understand how to survive in a busy world. How do we set the right priorities in our lives? How do we succeed at life? And there's three things that I want to show you out of this passage. Jesus enters the home. Jesus comes into their lives as he's coming into your life. Jesus every day wants to come into your life. That's number one. Number two is there's two responses. Martha and Mary's responses are different to this visit. And third what we see is that Jesus reorders their life, gives them new priority, a new priority. And so we see a new perspective. Jesus comes in to your life. That's a perspective, a new perspective. I'm going to show you what that perspective is. The second thing is we have a new practice. It's Mary's practice. And third, we have a new We have a perspective, a practice, and then a new priority, a priority. And I want to look at all three of those things out of this text. That was not like a, a delay because I, it was dramatic. I, I forgot the third thing, so it took me a second. It wasn't like a teaching technique to, oh, what's he going to say next? I had no idea. And then it, came, then it basically came back to me, and I got it. So I could have looked at my notes, but I really wanted to stretch my brain power there. So a couple things that we see immediately is, first of all, that Jesus takes a break from ministry, from formal ministry to visit his good friends. And when he's modeling the value of taking a break, he is busy at work. God has called us to be servants. God has called us to minister. One of my challenges to you this summer is to be thinking and praying about, okay, how am I going to step into ministry in the fall? What am I going to do? This church has lots of opportunities. And I'm looking out going, I see a lot of you involved in all different kinds of ways to serve. Using your homes, grounded groups, working in our children's ministry, our youth ministry, women's ministry. We want to develop and continue men's ministry and, and family ministry and all the different mission and outreach, love finance, our, our council of leaders. We have a leadership team that helps set and, and guides the future. I mean, that's wonderful. But Jesus takes a break, and he models that. We see that. He's traveling along, and he stops and takes a break. And he enters a friend's home, and he's going to have a meal, and he's just going to sit and enjoy some time with friends. The second thing we see is that discipleship is brought into everyday, ongoing life of human society. It's not a classroom, it's a home. Discipleship is not about sitting down and taking notes. Discipleship is about life on life. Jesus, with his friends, is going to help them understand something. 
they need a new perspective, a new practice, and a new priority. And Jesus is going to help them with that. So let's jump in. So here we go. The first thing we see here is that Jesus has come for a visit. And what we learn from this is, is in the busy day of life of Jesus teaching with his disciples and training, he had time to visit some friends, and he enters into a home, and as Dr. Coleman says, class in a book called Master Plan of Evangelism, one of my favorite little books ever, I've read it like 20 times, he says class was always in session. Class was always in session. Jesus was all, always ready to enter in and to bring new perspective to life. Because here's the problem. We often separate our ministry from our personal life. We do this. We come to church. We're involved. Maybe we serve. Maybe we open, open up our home. Maybe we do lots of different things. And we love doing that. Or maybe we just kind of check it off. And it becomes almost like I did that or I I, I'm tithing or I, whatever it is. And then we've got our personal life over here, our work, our family, our neighborhood, our vacations or what our hobbies or whatever else it is. And what Jesus does is brings new perspective to life. And the new perspective is Jesus is in our homes. He's in your home. And he's not in there just to inspect, you know, are you a clean freak? Are you, are you messy? He's, he's, not, he's not doing that. He's come in to spend some time with you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus' final words to the church before we close out the New Testament. In Revelation, Jesus speaks these words through John, and, and there's these, these seven messages to the church about coming back to their first love. And then he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in, I will enter in, and I will sup with them. That verse is essentially saying Jesus is waiting at the door of your home, and he wants to come in. And he wants to just open the door, and he will come in. Psalm 16:8 says, I have set the Lord continuously before me. That's a verse that I have uh, memorized many years ago. In the Good News translation, it says, I am always aware of the Lord's presence. That's a good translation. I'm always aware of the Lord's trans uh, presence. Another translation says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's the rest of the verse. See, when I keep my eyes on him, I won't be shaken. He's always at my right hand. Jesus enters your home. He's entering your home. He's standing at the door of your heart, and he wants to come in, and he wants to fellowship with you. I think there's a lot of missed opportunities because we don't see the right perspective of who Jesus is in our lives. You've got to change your mindset. Jesus is always present. We have a little, um, I bought a little book for our grandkids, Psalm 139, God is near. And in each picture, and I was taking August through it the other day, that, that God is near and it's and these two kids going to the North Pole and then going into the jungle and going to all different places around the world. And God is always with them. And it's a, I, I'm hoping and believing and praying that our grandkids will get that message that God is present in their life at all times. He doesn't abandon us. 
He's with you. And he wants, he wants to be part of your life. It's an invitation. That's number one. Lots of missed opportunities. But the second thing is there's two responses to that visit. You see that? You see the difference here? There's two different responses. The first one is Mary, who's seated at the Lord's feet. And the second is Martha, who's distracted with all the preparations. Now, I don't think Jesus is angry at Martha. We often throw Martha under the bus, and I want to look at her first. We really do. Martha, Martha, what are you doing? Like, why don't you do what your sister does? How come you can't be like your sister? Right? I mean, that, but I don't think that's what's going on here. And I'll, I'll show you why. But Martha most certainly is distracted. And, and the word itself, peri spoamai, peri spoamai literally means to be pulled away, dragged away. And it's in the middle imperfect, which means it's happening continuously in Martha's life. There's something going on in Martha's life that's causing her to be distracted, and she's doing it to herself. That's the middle voice in the Greek language. The middle voice means you're doing it to yourself. The passive voice is it's happening to you. But in the middle voice, she's distracting herself, which is pulling her and dragging her away from something important. That's what distraction does. She was constantly being pulled away. Martha was agitated and troubled. And how did it happen? Well, we, we, see, the we see the transition here. We see it from busyness to agitation to being disturbed in the soul. It's a process. Even in ministry, she's serving Jesus. It is possible, even in the kitchen, the temperature is rising. And Martha feels agitated. And I know that's a condition of our hearts. It's a symptom. I mean, I have all these articles. I won't go through them all, but I just clipped some from the Wall Street Journal, and I was blown away just with several weeks how many articles. This one's on um, the uh, escaping the efficiency trap, finding some peace of mind. And the whole article is all about the fact that uh, when we become really efficient, we actually become more busy and more distracted because we add more things to our calendar because we're really efficient, we get more done. And we never get it all done, so we feel this anxiety, and we're really frustrated at the end because we can never get the list completed. My dad carried around for his whole life a yellow pad of paper and all the things that he had to get done, all the things, lists and lists and lists and lists. The car, the boat, the investments, the house, whatever it is. And, and so I do that too. But what the article is saying is what you've got to do is come to the realization you'll never get it all done. You will never get it all. You'll never serve everybody. You'll never complete your task. There will always be somebody else out there to care for. Every time you turn around, and if you busy yourself to that level because you're trying to get more done, you'll become less at peace and more agitated and distracted. And so the article says, you just got to throw up your arms and say, I'm not going to get it all done. And that, there's a piece about it realizing I'm not going to get it all done. 
that's okay. That's okay. Martha needed to realize there was a time to serve and a time to sit. Peace of mind in the present only happens when we realize we can't get it all done. There's an article here on time, where time came from and what time has done in society. We all have the same amount of time. But time can rule and it can just control. There's an article here on how to stay calm and chill and how the car is being designed to help you chill and relax. We got off on an airplane, uh, went to a wedding in Austin last weekend, and as we were getting off, I was watching the news, and it was like all these outbreaks of fights on airplanes and in, in, in air, airports. I'm like, wow, it's on the rise. People are upset. I'm like, they're like full-on punching each other. Like, man, what is going on? We've got to deal with this. In Genesis chapter 6, God, two, 1 and 2, sorry, I don't know why I said so. Genesis, the first two chapters, God creates the world in six days. God is a creator. God is at work. And then he gives us the pattern of work, doesn't he? He, 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 he wants us to follow his pattern of creativity in the world and to, and to work, and it's good, and it's the expression of your relationship with God to work. He does not want us to be idle. But on the seventh day, he rested, and he called it holy, kadash. The very first time, kadash, holy. Powerful word, powerful word. Pure, holy, devoted to God that is used is the day of rest. Think about that. The day of rest is the first thing that was called holy. You have a holy moment, a holy moment. Martha was distracted. Corey Tinboom says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Ronald Rollheiser, a Catholic writer, says, we aren't against God. We don't have anything against God. It's just that we are too busy to notice if he shows up on our radar screen. I wonder if that's happening. So let's look at Mary. Mary's response, seated at Jesus' feet, listening to his words. If Martha was distracted, Mary was determined determined to sit with the Lord. And notice the word. It says that Mary sat. She sat down. And when she sat, that's, um, that's an expression of, author- of, of sitting under somebody's authority. It's, it's somebody that, that Mary has determined has authority in her life. Does that make sense? So she sits. And in her sitting, she's lower than Jesus, showing Jesus has full authority in her life. That's what Mary's doing. Mary knew the secret of time management. You don't add, you have to subtract. Anne Lamont, a Christian writer, says, no is a full sentence. John Mark Comer in his book, um, uh, You Have to Ruthlessly Eliminate Hurry, says that for every yes, there's a thousand no's. What are you saying no to so you can say yes to God? A successful life has become a violent enterprise. 
because without a divine moment, activity becomes unholy distraction instead of an, a powerful infusion of divine love. That's the point of the whole passage right there. Without a divine moment of stillness, activity becomes a holy distraction, unholy distraction, instead of a powerful infusion of divine love. A Japanese theologian wrote many years ago, Three Mile an Hour God. And in Three Mile an Hour God, Jesus, he says, comes after the Old Testament, and God's teaching this long lesson all the way through the Old Testament. One lesson, you can't live without bread. You, you, can, you can't live without bread, but you know what you really can't live without? You can't live without God's words. Will you listen to God? Will you listen to God? And, and, and he points out, uh, Kosuke Koyama points out that for 40 years he taught one lesson. Man cannot live without the word of God in their life. You see the bread. You see the manna. I will provide for you. I will provide for you. But what you need to know is you cannot survive without the word of God. You can't do it. So Jesus comes. He walks towards a full stop, which is really odd. God's walking three miles an hour. Jesus comes to a complete stop. That tells you something about what's going to happen. He lost his mobility. He was nailed down. He's not even at three miles an hour. He's not moving. He's in a full stop. What can be slower than a full stop? The apostolic church proclaims that the love of God to man is ultimately and fully revealed in the full stop. God walks slowly because he is love. If you do not slow down and have a moment with God, you will not experience the love of God. That's what he's saying. It's a different kind of speed than technological speed. It's slow. Yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, whether we are currently hit by the storm or not. At three miles an hour, it is the speed we walk, and therefore it is the speed the love of God walks in our lives. He's not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. And he sits, and so does Mary. And it's kadosh. It's, kadosh. it's holy. Barbara Brown Taylor writes a book on waiting on God. And she's talking about cocooning. And cocooning is, is going inward and waiting and forming the cocoon so that the butterfly can be trans, just, it can emerge. The transformation happens in the cocoon. Transformation happens in a cocoon. And if you're not cocooning, she calls it stillness. Joseph Campbell is quoted in Sue Monk Kidd's book, When the Heart Waits. Joseph lowered, was lowered into a well. Joseph in the Old Testament. He went down into a well. Jesus is placed in a tomb and he descends. Jonah gets swallowed by a whale. There's all these things where they're cocooning, they're descending, they're going down. A person goes inward to be born again, Campbell says. We don't cross into the sphere of rebirth by power, but by, by descent. You've got to have a descent before you have an ascent. 
Are you having a descent by being swallowed? Sit, sitting down and being quiet. Getting swallowed up in the words of God. Stillness is the on-road into the deeper spiritual life. Stillness is the on-road. Stillness, quietness. Stop. Psalm 23. Let me show you what I do. So I was thinking about this, and I thought of Psalm 23 because I like Psalm 23. It's the, it's the Lord shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's what David says. I, I shall not want because the Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you make God your shepherd, you don't have any wants. And here's all the things that God does for you. And I just want you to see this for a minute because this is what you do. This is how I focus on God's word. This is how I sit at the feet of Jesus. I open up a passage like this and I ask the Lord three things. What do I observe? How do I interpret it? And how do I apply it? O-I-A. Observation, interpretation, application. Every time. What do I see? What? Just make observations. Look at the text and ask the question, what's the big idea? What's David trying to say? And then, well, I see all these things. I see that he's talking about God as a shepherd and that I shall not want. That's really important. And then all the things that he does in my life. That's my observations. Then I want to move to interpretation, which is, what's the big idea? What am I going to learn from this text? Well, what do I really see? What I see in here is that God makes me be quiet. He leads me beside quiet waters. He's trying to get me to sit down. Because he knows it's good for me. Because it's the only way to find the path of God. If you're not sitting down, quiet, descending into the powerful words of God that speaks to you, you won't know his path. You won't be led and have your cup overflowed with joy. You'll live in a world of anxiety and you'll be caught up with the moments of the day rather than God's perspective. God's practice and God's new priority. And so I sit and I hear this, and so what I come up with, okay, here's what he's saying. What we need, the idea of want. What's want? So I, I investigate want. What's want? What do you want? What do you want in life? I don't want anything, David says. Why? Sure, certainly has soul and he has wants. I know the things I want. I mean, it's all the things that God supplies in this passage. You look at it. I want my soul to be nourished. I, I, want, I want a path. I want to know that I'm going in the right direction. I, I want protection. 
I, I, I want comfort. I want fellowship. I want a purpose. <clears throat> Those are all the things that my soul wants. I'm sure it's the same with you. And guess what? What I realize, the reason why he has no wants is because they're all fulfilled in the shepherd. How? When we make him our shepherd, we sit down. We, we lie in the green pastures. We are led by the quiet waters and we sit. Our souls are restored. And then he begins to guide us. And when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not, I'm not going to fear what's going on in the world. I'm just not going to fear. Why, why am I going to fear what's happening? There is nothing to fear. Christians, of all people, should be the most confident people in this era right now saying, we don't have anything to fear. We know really hard stuff's happening. We know there are things going on right now. We need to take care of one another. We need to be concerned, absolutely. We need to make good decisions. We need to be, use common sense, of course. As we navigate the future, no question. But I'm not going to fear anything. I hear a lot of fear. And I'm hearing more of it now. Like, what's happening? Where's things going? Where's the world going? Who's in charge? Why are they, why are they telling me that I can't? What's going to happen next? There's a big, con whatever. Whatever. Okay, I'm aware of that, and I think we all need to be aware of it and think these things through. But let me tell you something. Jesus is coming back, and he's in control. And this is not happening at a, at a random time in history that God's not aware of. He's fully in charge. So in this moment, what I realize is what we need God offers when we make him our shepherd. And that's what I take away from Psalm 23. It's beautiful. See, I've done this since I was in high school. I remember sitting on a houseboat. I remember Lake Shasta or, or Lake Trinity up in Lake Powell. Our family, we would every summer, we'd go away and do ski trips. And, and I would sit on the back of the houseboat sometimes by myself. Everybody's out doing their thing, water skiing, sitting in the sun, playing cards, whatever. And I would just sit there. And I remember this one book that I would be reading, Come Away, My Beloved. It was a devotion. Uh, written in the 60s. I had a 1970 copy of this, and it was like the, I would read that with my Bible, and I would just have a quiet moment with God, and I put that in to practice, and I would do it, and I went, went off to college, and I kept the practice up, and I would find a place, and it was Strawberry Creek on the UC Berkeley campus, and I would find a quiet campus is full of students walking everywhere and going to class and I would find a little place in the springtime in the warm months and I would sit by the stream and I would just sit with the Lord became my routine sometimes I would go up and I would go for a run and I ended up at the uh, stadium and I would sit up there I had different spots different places bring it's really kind of a an interesting thing, I think Batterson says it best. He says, like, uh, new, new place brings new perspective and new purpose or something like that. Change the place, change the plan, change the perspective. But it all starts with a practice. And then finally, Jesus then speaks. And so we see Martha's practice. We see what she does. 
Abraham Heschel writes a book in, called Sabbath. And he says the higher goal of spiritual life is not to amass wealth of information, but to face sacred moments. That's it. My goal is to have a sacred moment with God, a, a profound sacred moment. That's the objective, not to have all this information. It's easy to acquire more information, but to sit quietly and have a private moment with God where he speaks to you through the word and says, oh my goodness, what he's doing and what Jesus is doing in July and August for me is he's saying, sit down by the quiet waters in the green pastures. I want you to learn a practice that you know well, but you've gotten away from. It will carry you through life. High schoolers, junior hires, young people, to learn this practice early in your life will transform your life because you will no longer listen to the world's advice or the peer pressure and go the way of what everybody else is doing, but you will hear the voice of God speak through his word and you will know how to navigate dating and sex and drugs and all the other challenges of life the things that God has given us, sexual pleasure and relationship, but he wants it to be honored and sacred. And when we're off doing the wrong thing, thinking, not spending time, guess what? We're getting distracted and agitated, and we really are off base until we learn this new practice. And then finally, last thing I want to say as we close this morning, Jesus reorders our life. It's a new priority. Perspective, practice, and priority. He's reprioritizing their values. When I was in the ICU unit after my heart attack, God really got my attention. So 100% blocked LAD. I already had a stent. I was a 90% blocked. Now I'm swimming with a 90% blocked LAD. That's the Widowmaker. So I started slowing down because I had pain, right? You just kind of slow down. And then I kept going back to my cardiologist. What's wrong with me? Oh, you're fine. You're healthy. You're fine. No, no, I'm not. Something's wrong. Something is wrong. So I failed the cardio uh, uh, stress test. And, okay, let's put, take you to the cath lab. And in, in goes the stent. Well, several years later, it thrombosed, a blood clot. I'm up in Arrowhead get rushed down to San Bernardino, down to the hospital, in an ambulance with chains on in this middle of wintertime. So it took forever. And they, they asked me if I wanted Valium, and I'm thinking, Valium? That's what the guy in Saving Private Ryan got right before he died. I'm not, I don't want any Valium, no. That's the only thing I thought of that was really weird. Why was that line, why did that line come out? Sometimes it's dangerous to memorize movie lines. It, this was definitely the case, because I could have used a little. Anyway, by the time I got there, I got my, my um, went back into the cath lab. So, rushed me in the cath lab and another, um, another stent inside of a stent, and that, that, was, the, that was the ticket. And uh, I'm in the ICU unit, and um, I'm in recovery, and the, at the end of the day, a nurse comes up to me, and I've never, I, I don't remember seeing her at all. Denise was on her way home from Utah to get to me, and 
and Brittany, I think, are my daughter, and Brooke came, and Brittany, and my sister Judy, and, and then Kim came, my stepmom, and, and so they kind of, everybody was kind of starting to pile in, remember that, and, and then, um, but I had this, at the end of the day, the, this nurse was, she was off her shift, and she was leaving, and she looked down, and she got right in my face, some of you heard this, and said, Mr. Windorf, I just want to tell you one thing. You need to start caring far less about far more. And then she left. Never see, saw her again in my life. And I remember looking up at her, thinking those are the most profound words. It's God speaking to me. It's God speaking to me. It's a matter of priority. What's the first priority in your life? What is it? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The highest goal for spiritual living is not to amass a wealthy information, wealth of information, but to face sacred moments. Martha could benefit from this new first priority. The good thing is not the only thing, but the first thing that livens everything else. It's, it's a system that you put in place. I was with my fraternity brother again this weekend, and we went out um, a couple nights ago, and, and uh, I was telling him what I was going to speak on. He said, well, how do you do it? Does God just show up and do it? No. Notice what the text says. Martha chose to sit. The word to choose, Martha does it. She chooses. She actively chooses to sit. I said, I, when, I, when I, would, I was first learning to swim on the swim team, I go, how do you guys swim so fast? What do I do? And I think I was Brian Johnson, or I think it was Brian who said it. I said, well, how do you swim faster? And he goes, by swimming faster. I've never forgotten that. By swimming faster. You just got to start swimming faster. You're swimming too slow. So pick up the pace. This is, so what do we do? I remember that. And so I told Dave, I said, well, what do I do? Does God just show up and make it happen? No, you choose it. You decide uh, this is what I want. This is a, pri like anything else, like all the other priorities in your life, you value things and you set up systems to make sure those things happen in your life, don't you? Whether it's swimming or working out or eating well or spending time with family or with whether it's family or grandkids or work. I mean, there's certain things that happen in your life because you've created a system that works so that you have a priority. And guess what? Everything else gets deprioritized. And what Jesus is saying, the top priority in your life is for you to spend time with me. And if you don't, guess what happens? The unholy agitation instead of divine love and inspiration. That's what happens. So Jesus reorders their life. And there it is. Let me finish with this. And then I just want to give you a moment. Come on up, worship team. Let's, uh, let's just, we're going to sing this crazy good song. As the deer panteth for water, so my soul longeth after thee. We're going to sing that. It's an oldie, but it's really good. And I want you to think about the deer. You know, you know when Psalm, the Psalm of 42, you know when it, was, it was, um, when it was written, the deer pants for the water, and you know why? Because it's dying of thirst. It's on the edge, it's on the edge of death. The deer is dying of thirst. It has no water. That's why it's panting for water. Are you dying for anything? My soul longs after thee.
does your soul long after thee? Christian mythic, Frank Lambach. Mystics are interesting people. Everything we need to be perfectly happy is available to us in the next 60 seconds. Shrinking the frame to now is so often a highway to a deeper, more meaningful experience to God. Maybe that's what mindfulness is all about, coming to the present moment without wishing it otherwise. It requires us to detach or subtract. That's what my friend Ron Boyd says. You've got to learn to detach and subtract. In a book he writes called The Heart is a Noisy Place. Great book. Well, Father, in this moment, we're going to just detach and we're going to just sit. And we're going to reflect. And maybe we're going to pull out our uh, phones and our look at our, our Bible app or maybe our scriptures and just look at a verse. Just look at a verse, whether it's Psalm 42 or Psalm 23 or Psalm 16:8 or Luke 10, 38 to 42. We're just going to look. Let's look. Let's just look. God, are you speaking now? Sing along with me, you're my friend. And you're my friend, and you are my brother, even though you are a king. I love you more than anything. I love you more than the other so much more.
desire this morning, that we would sit at your feet, that we would still our hearts, we would breathe in your goodness and your love this morning. Help us not to fear the stillness, Lord, but that you are always there every time, always right there to meet us. as I want you more than gold or silver. Stand with me as we close in this last song. Lord, you are our living hope. You are the one that gives us strength and fullness of joy. Let's sing this together. How great the chasm. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb in desperation. Inspiration, I turned to heaven and spoke your
call us to come away with you, Lord. We aren't met with skepticism. We aren't met with hardness, but we're met with your goodness. We're met with open arms extended towards us, waiting for us to come to you. So Lord, it's out of that promise of your, our living hope in you that we run to you this week. Lord, would you teach us how to slow down? Would you teach us how to be still before you, Lord? that we would not be caught up in the anxiety and the chaos of the world, but that we would set our hope in the living Christ who has come and will come again to set all wrong things right. So Lord, let that be our truth this week, the foundation, the firm foundation we stand on. We pray all these things in your precious, beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks to you all. Y'all, we're not in Texas. Y'all, thanks for worshiping. We love you guys. Hope to see you next week, maybe at the Malaga Cove. We'll keep you posted, but we, we want to be back, so we'll let you know. Bless you. Have a great Sunday.